Today we're going to read from Psalm 19, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, receiving the, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. We've prayed in that song, but let's just pray again. Father, thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet. And we pray now as we come to this wonderful psalm of David that you would open our hearts and minds to hear your truth. Please would we leave thrilled that you are the God who speaks to us through your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. How's it going? How are you doing? I'm sure unless you came into church during the first hymn, that somebody has asked you a question like that this morning. And I guess many of us just replied with a kind of standard answer. Yep, okay, thanks, I'm good. But that standard answer, I take it masks all kinds of different situations. Some are not so good. Some work is hard. Home life is hard. Perhaps that's even more so at the beginning of a new year. Some are thrilled. Some have high hopes for this year. Some are worried and disappointed. But it also masks all kinds of spiritual circumstances. Spiritually, some of us couldn't be better this morning. We're thrilled to be here. We couldn't wait to get here and to begin singing and praising the Lord. But others of us, although we're Christians, very much so, We know Jesus is our saviour, we trust him with our lives and yet we feel rather cold, we feel far from him. Deep down, if we're honest, we'd rather not have come this morning. I take it there are some here who wouldn't yet call themselves Christians. It's wonderful that you're here, perhaps you're checking things out and uh, maybe you're a little bit interested, curious, baffled 
But the idea of delighting in Jesus, celebrating Jesus, is just a little bit baffling to you. Well, whatever our situation this morning, we come to a wonderful psalm of King David, written some 3,000 years ago. And if you'd asked David, how are you? He'd have said, I'm well, and he'd have meant it. We don't know what David's outward circumstances are. He may be writing this in a cave, fleeing from King Saul. He may be writing it from a a wonderful palace in Jerusalem as as a proud king. But whatever his outward circumstances, spiritually, he is well. He's thrilled. And he's writing this song, marveling, celebrating God's goodness. And my hope and prayer today is that we too will see something of God's greatness. We'll be caught up with David's song and we will be thrilled. This song is infectious. This praise is infectious. And I hope it will infect each one of us this morning. I want to look at the psalm in three blocks. The first is one to six. And the heading is this. Look up. Look up and see God's glory proclaimed in creation. This is by far the longest heading, so don't worry if we get to the end of it and and you think we're not going to stop, we will. But first, look up. Verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. This probably sounds a bit eccentric, but the sky in New Zealand looks different than the sky in England. It may be because we've got fewer tall buildings here. But somehow it seems bigger. It seems vaster. And then you get a big, long, white cloud. And it's glorious somehow, isn't it? And then combine that with a sunset, and it's just stunning. But it's not just stunning. It proclaims the glory of our God. If you like, God's creative fingerprints are all over it. About ten days ago, I took Ren, our eldest son, camping. We went to Godly Head and, and camped up there and in the middle of the night I woke up and I opened the tent and the sky was just full of stars brilliantly full dazzlingly full and afterwards I thought how sublime is the one who put each one of them there and all of these things shout to us don't they if we're listening God is great God is wonderful God is powerful But I take it this isn't limited just to the sky, but everything under the heavens too, like a fine painting that that, uh, reflects the skill of its artist. So God's handiwork in each one of us, in all that we see under the heaven, reflects God's amazing glory. It just isn't just in the big or the unusual. Look at verse 2. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. In the very ordinary, in the rhythm of life we take for granted, day after day, night after night, we see, if we're willing to, the God of order. 24-7, seven days a week, in the drizzle that waters the fields, in the boring overcast sky that shelters us from the heat of the sun, we see the God of order. Creation is pouring out its message of God's brilliance. And you see that message is heard throughout the world. Verse 3, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes into all the earth. It's a stunning thought, isn't it? There is not a single person on this planet 
who has not seen the silent witness of creation's message of the glory of God. I'm sure I've said this before. But as I was becoming a Christian at university, somebody invited me to read the Bible. And I I wasn't from a Christian home. I'd never read the Bible before. And as I began to read Mark's Gospel, I was really blown away with Jesus. I was blown away with his kindness. I was blown away with his message of forgiveness for sins. But I couldn't believe there was a God. The idea of God just sounded vaguely silly. And I remember really vividly one afternoon sitting on a bench in, my, in a local park and a sparrow flew to my feet. And I remember today, clear as day, looking at the wing of that sparrow. And in that moment, I heard the voice of creation. I couldn't believe any longer that that sparrow just came into being. I couldn't believe it just happened by chance. And I realized somebody must have made it. And in that moment, I heard what creation had been saying to me for the past 19 years. There is a God, and he's glorious. But up until that time, I'd missed it. I hadn't heard it. Or rather, to put that biblically, I'd refused to hear it. The beginning of Romans, the Apostle Paul says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that is to say his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. I'd seen it, but I'd refused to see it. And the question this psalm asks us is, do we see it? Not just as those who are unbelievers who don't see it, but to us who are believers too, do we see God's handiwork as we look up? Or do we just see the sky? some clouds, some blue. Well, from the second half of verse 4, David zooms in, if you like. He takes up a case study, and he zooms in on the sun, and he considers it in detail. The end of verse 4, in the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It's as if the, the sky was a kind of canopy for the sun. And the sun comes out like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion or his chamber. And each morning, the sun is like a man on his wedding day, dressed in a a brilliant morning suit, expectant, radiant, full of energy. Or to change the image, the sun is like a champion, rejoicing to run his course. If if you know anything about me, you know that I don't particularly like sport. But um, whenever I see runners on TV, it's the Olympics, and somehow I turn it on by accident, I never meant to, it's kind of captivating. These brilliant athletes, men and women, full of energy, running their course. And David's saying that's what the sun is like, running an amazing course, radiating with energy, not for his own benefit, not for national pride, but for the glory of the holy God. And when you stop to think about it for a minute, it's amazing, isn't it? It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Reminds me of uh, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. We're about to begin in February a little series in Matthew. And I think sometime after Easter we'll get to Matthew 5. But in Matthew 5, Jesus says, The Father in heaven makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And God gives his warmth through, through the Son to all. The Son is, if you like, a token of God's goodness to the good and to the evil. I was reading about North Korea 
little while ago. And as you know, in North Korea, Christianity is banned. Those who are Christians are routinely rounded up and placed into labour camps. And according to one escapee in, in one particular labour camp, it goes without saying they weren't allowed Bibles, but even the Christians who even looked up into the sky were assumed to be praying to God and taken away and tortured. Well, think of those brothers and sisters in those camps this morning, how alone they must feel, abandoned. And yet with this right theology of creation, as they labour in the fields this morning with the sun on their backs, they remember they're not alone because God, in his kindness, gives the light of the sun, the warmth of the sun, to all. Our Father in heaven makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. They're not alone And yet, of course, shockingly, that means, too, they're prison guards. Those who take them away and torture them, he pours out his kindness on them, too. Well, friends, mercifully, we'll probably never end up in a prison camp. But aren't there many times when we, too, need to see in the creation the glory of God? This isn't some theology for an abstract book. This isn't an academic truth. It's vitally important. Some of you, tomorrow will be going back to work. And as you look out of the window, as you drive to the office, to the factory, as you stare out of the window at the lunch break and feel rather blue, it's no longer the holidays, we need to see the glory of God. You sit there, you work there for his glory. Perhaps this week, someone will be feeling alone and we look around and we see the beauty of creation and remember, it proclaims God's glory. He is with us. Maybe you feel very old and frail. Well, look at the sun, that great champion. And though we cannot do all that we want to, God is still just as powerful as he ever was, running the world. Friends, this week, look up and see the creation as it proclaims God's glory. Look up. Well, in the second half of the psalm, David shifts his focus from a celebration of creation to the celebration of God's word. And the second point is look in. Look into this book, into the perfect law which gives God's blessing. Look into the perfect word which brings God's blessing. You may have noticed six times the, the word the Lord in capital letters is used here. As you know, that's God's personal name. It's his, his covenant name. And if you like, there's a shift here from a, a kind of abstract, sort of slightly impersonal marveling at creation to an intimate marveling, an intimate conversation with the Lord, the one who David knows personally. And um, there's a clear pattern in these verses. David uses first a word for the scriptures. And then he describes the character of God's word and then the blessing that it brings. So look at verse 7. The law of the Lord. That is not to say that the Ten Commandments, so much as all of God's doctrine, his teaching in general. The law of the Lord is perfect. And the character of it is perfection. And the blessing it brings is that it refreshes the soul. I want to just bounce on these for a minute. Because David, as David celebrates the word of God, we see how tremendous it is. There are many interesting books written about God, aren't there? About spirituality. But if you want a perfect revelation, you need to come here. The law of the Lord is perfect. And the promise is if you do, it will refresh you, revive your soul. And there's a double sense here. 
Although creation can tell us that there is a God, tell us of his invisible qualities, it's this book that tells us how we come to know him, how we are invited into relationship with him, given new life through these words. But then once we've accepted that new life, often we feel downcast. We feel spiritually blue. We feel far from him. And the promise is, this book will revive our souls. I wonder if you've noticed uh, a resurgence of the language of me time. When I come home from work, I just need some me time. I need 30 minutes on Facebook or 30 minutes reading my Twitter feed or, or in the paper or whatever it is. And once I've had 30 minutes of me time, well, then I'm ready to face the kids or the wife or, or whatever it is that I have to face. Well, an older generation of Christians, I'm told, wouldn't have come home and flicked on the TV or the radio. They'd have opened a psalm and read it. Now, that sounds slightly dull to many of us, slightly boring. But according to this, it will be effective. The word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Not Netflix or Facebook, the word of the Lord. Well, David carries on. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Not that it gives us intelligence, but in a world full of fake news, full of misleading claims, it is this that is trustworthy. And as we come to it, it gives us the wisdom to live in a morally grey world. Or verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. I'm told this word precepts can mean that which is appointed. It's a word of authority, dogma, we might say. And for many people looking in, the, the church is dogmatic. Perhaps many people in the church, it's dogmatic and this book is dry and dusty and dogmatic. But look what this says. For those who know the Lord, who love the Lord, it is these words that make our souls happy, that give us joy, that lighten our eyes as we see the wonder of God, as we see his great kindness to us. Friend, if you don't feel full of joy, if you feel far from the Lord this morning, then read this book. And then verse 9, the pattern changes slightly. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. No longer a character of the word, but a character of the listener of the word of God. And David says this reverent fear, this humble, loyal, obedient, listening to God's word, that's what lasts. It is that attitude that will last, and with it, the hearer. Well, there's so much more we could say as we bounce on these words. But in verse 10, David begins to wrap it up. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the cone. God's word is desirable because it brings all these blessings. I had to ask myself this week, do I believe this? Do I believe God's word is this precious? Last week I broke a small jar of dessert wine. It's quite expensive dessert wine. Sweet, noble rot of some kind. And as I fumbled it out of my cupboard and it smashed all over the floor, I was really frustrated. And afterwards, I was playing it in my mind. How was I so stupid? It annoyed me. It was a waste of money, waste of something precious. But when I wake up in the morning and I flick up my phone and read the news or I get caught up in my email and so waste the time I set aside for my quiet time, does it vex me or do I just not care? 
And yet when I do that, I, I waste something far more precious than a bottle of dessert wine. And to be honest, it often doesn't bother me. I take it if we were a Christian, we would affirm the word of God is perfect. It's good. But friend, is that reflected in your life? Would the people around you looking in say he, she wants the word of God more than money, more than a rise in the career ladder, more than pleasure? Well, friends, just as David is, is hoping we'll see creation differently, so he's hoping we'll see the word of God differently. And this song is meant to, this psalm is meant to woo us, to remind us of the goodness of God's word, so that if we don't feel like getting it, we'll want to, it will kindle this desire within us, so that we'll come and taste that the word of God is good. And maybe there are some of us this week who need to set aside time to do that, to taste the sweetness of God's word, to remember that it is good to to experience this joy and this blessing so that it will shape our priorities this year. Not so that we prioritize it because we feel guilty or because we feel we must or, or heaven forbid because some minister told us to on the first Sunday in January, but because we know it's good, we've experienced that and we want it. For some of you, that might be to commit this week to come to equip not because equips wonderful, but because that is a way to have somebody feed us the word of God that we can taste. It is good. Perhaps you've tried many times to get into your Bible and maybe that's been your New Year's res- resolution that you had in your mind as Miriam opened the service. And yet you know, if you're honest, you'll be done by the middle of February. Friend, if that's you, come and talk to someone. Ask somebody who, who's better at this. How, how can I do it? How can you help me? Because the word of God is good. And David would plead with us to be in it, to revive our souls with it. Well, finally, we come to the last block. And very briefly, we see the believer's response to the revelation of God. And the response is this. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus to find grace to walk God's way. The tone changes in verse 12. It suddenly becomes solemn and serious. If this was set to music, it would be suddenly very deep and and minor key, I think. Um, That was on my notes, and I don't actually know if that's what it would happen. Mike's nodding at me, so I'm probably all right. I I don't know much about music. Don't go off your notes. Don't know about music. I think that's what happened. It would suddenly become very somber and serious. And the more we see of God's glory in creation, the more we we see of God's... uh, the extraordinary perfection of God's word the more we see that we're not like that, that our hearts are a mess. But at the same time, it kindles within us a desire to show forth the glory of God in the way we're designed to. And so David prays, verse 12, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Ironically, hidden from David, but not from those who know him best. They see it clearly. And then he prays, verse 13, keep your servant from willful sins. That is, sin's done deliberately with a high hand because he knows that if the Lord doesn't give him grace, they'll become habits, character, they'll rule over him. And yet if the Lord does give him grace, the end of verse 13, then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Not perfect, but blameless because he will be redeemed and forgiven. And David doesn't know this in its fullness but with the benefit of hindsight, we know this is a cry for Jesus. 
a cry for the grace that Jesus brings because we know that as Jesus dies on the cross, as the transgressions of his people are laid on the one who made the skies, the one of whom this perfect law points, the one who kept these perfect commandments, as that Jesus died, he offers us his righteousness that we may be declared innocent, covered, blameless. And what's more, the moment we believe, he fills us, doesn't he, with his Holy Spirit, that we can no longer be under the dominion of sin, but rather set free. And of course, that doesn't mean that we don't sin, that we don't battle with sin, but it will never rule over us because we are blameless and innocent. Well, friends, if David knew this, if he rejoiced in this, how much more so us? As we look ahead into a new year, as we think of all the ways we'll make mistakes, of all the, the pitfalls that lie before us, doesn't this thrill our hearts? And then we come to the last verse. Famous, famous words, often used by preachers as they begin a sermon. But isn't this fascinating that David needs to say this? May the words of my heart and the meditation, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Now that could be his meditation generally but as the newer translation of uh, the NIV says may these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart it's this psalm he's just sung he's talking about I think and we wonder how could this not be acceptable in his sight these wonderful words of creation this soaring praise of God's word how could God not accept it but to the last David knows his heart that as he uh, proclaims these words he longs to do it for God's glory and yet he knows he's tempted to steal it for himself. It's a temptation I know as I stand here to preach. There's a sense I don't really care what you think of this sermon. I preach before God. I preach what I've tried to prepare for his glory. And yet in my heart is the desire for you to say, well done. And friends, isn't that true of all our good deeds? As we work at church, as we work at home, as we work in our families, we do it for God's glory, and yet we also long to steal some for ourselves, that we'd get some of the limelight. And if that's true of us in our best moments, how much more so in our worst? We need to call out to our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. Jesus, cover us. Give us the grace to walk in your ways. Well, it can be very irritating when a song gets stuck in your head. But I hope this song will get stuck in your head. I hope, as we leave, we'll look up and see the glory of God in the skies as the skies proclaim it. I hope we'll look in this week and and taste the Lord is good. Let this word revive your soul. And friends, as we look up and look in, we'll see that we're not the people we should be. And so don't despair. Look to Jesus. Cry out to our rock and our redeemer and rejoice in the mercy and grace he gives us. Let's pray together.